0: You're listening to the Investing.com's Weekly Crypto Podcast with your host, Clement Thibault. Hello, everyone. Have a nice Sunday. Welcome to Investing.com's Crypto, our weekly crypto podcast where we go over the weekly news and uh, we try to analyze the, the most interesting bits of, uh, of the past week. So I'll start like I do every week with saying who is this for. So like I just said, we'll be going over the weekly news basically and uh, what we aim to do is give you about a 15 to 20 minute podcast where you can just listen and get caught up with most of what happened in the crypto markets in the past week. So every major development, new technologies, uh, we've have, we've ha- we have a bit of everything for you uh, every week. So uh, yeah, that's what we're doing here. If you're interested, please uh, drop a comment or uh, if you have some criticism that you'd like me to hear, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, but more information at the end of the podcast. So we'll go uh, right away into the topics of this week. All right, so this week we have a a few interesting topics for you. And I think that this week we've had discussions really on uh, both technology aspects, financial aspects, and even ideological aspects of of crypto and Bitcoin. So we're going to be talking a little bit about everything. So first, we're going to be talking about a new advertising campaign from uh, Gemini that calls for more crypto regulations. And the uh, two Winklevoss brothers just went on record saying that they believe that regulations is what is hindering Bitcoin from becoming the new gold. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that and saying what we think. Uh, next up, we have some delays in Ethereum development. Uh, Constantinople was supposed to be the upgrade uh, this week, but it's been pushed back to February. So we're going to talk about what this upgrade is without getting too technical. Uh, and we're going to talk about why it's been postponed and what does that mean for Ethereum. And our third topic uh, is going to be about Cryptopia, which is a New Zealand-based exchange that got hacked this week, or allegedly hacked this week, as the authorities are not yet willing to comment on the subject. But we're talking about something between 3 and $13 million, uh, New Zealand dollars stolen. So we're talking about a major hack here. Uh, some of the funds uh, were transferred to Binance and then frozen. So we're going to be talking about that as well. So we have three really, really great topics for you this week. And let's dive right in with revolution need rules. But do they really? So our first topic is about Gemini and its new advertising campaign. Uh, They actually had a full page New York Times ad. Uh, If you're around New York these days, you can see them uh, on buses, train stations, And, you know, all the New York uh, shenanigans where you can advertise, they're pretty much everywhere. And basically, it states in big, bold letters that revolution needs rules. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Wall Street and maybe more normal people, uh, you know, come on board with crypto by telling them, listen, we're going to make it safer for you. We're going to give you all the rules that you need. We're going to give you more bank-like rules that will protect you. And if if you bank with us... Uh, which is basically, I believe that at the end, you know, that's their end goal. They do want to become a crypto bank. Uh, They don't want to replace the old system. They just want to become the new system for crypto, which is legitimate. But just it's good to know that that's what they want to do. Uh, And if you bank with us, if you if you do business with us, then you won't get burned like if you do business with, you know, other exchanges. Uh, Our third topic today is mentioning, you know, a crypto hack. So an exchange hack. So definitely uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of uh, wild, wild west going on in crypto world still. So do do does Bitcoin and crypto really need rules? So on one hand, yes, like I, I completely agree that, you know, scamming projects and, and raising raising funds for non-existent projects is, is fraud. You know, it's it's straight up fraud. But when we're talking about Bitcoin itself, you know, the fact that if you send the transaction then it's irreversible and that the blockchain is immutable, uh you know, does that need rules or is that rule enough? And you have to be careful within, you know, those set of of rules. The rules of Bitcoins are, are really pretty clearly defined. You know, there's stuff that you can do and there's stuff that you can't do. And that's about it. And it's up to you. There's a wide margin for the user, you know, to do what he wants with this tool. And he can do good things. He can do bad things. And he can also do, you know, dumb things. And, and there's a lot of mistakes to be made and a lot of cryptos to be lost because of mistakes. So by saying what they say, you know, I, Gemini is kind of undermining, you know, the, the cryptocurrency scene and what people want to see in crypto, which is financial freedom and, you know, and, and financial sovereignty. And if you introduce too many rules and that, you know, you can reverse transactions or if you can, you know, protect people, then by protecting them, you are, you, you are almost always infringing on someone else's right. You know, and and you and even if you are not, you always you give yourself the opportunity to do so. For example, uh, EOS, the blockchain that can censor transactions, uh, it's it's a rule, right? And it tells you, listen, if you if we get hacked, you know, we'll get your money back. Don't worry, we can freeze the funds. But on the other hand, the you know the entire Bitcoin project is about not letting yourself get abused by the system, and that there is no system that can say, you know, this are your coins and these aren't your coins, and we take them now. So. It's, it's a very interesting line to go. I think that at the end of the day, if what they want to appeal to is mainstream users and not cryptocurrency enthusiasts, uh, I think they're doing the right thing here because I look at it from a certain ideological perspective and, and crypto and Bitcoin especially really talks to me on that level. But for a lot of other people, no, they maybe want to explore the asset, but they don't necessarily want to take financial responsibility. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of Bitcoin people over the years, and I've I've really told them all listen, but a lot of people are just not interested in taking financial responsibility, and and they would like to have someone to to nanny them in a way or provide a safety net. So this is kind of what Gemini is trying to do. Uh, honestly, it's interesting. It's it's appealing to an entire different you know class of people that maybe need some help getting into crypto, and and if that safety net is that help, then you know we'll just see how things work regarding now, uh, Bitcoin kind of taking over gold. That's you know, in a way, and I can see how Bitcoin becomes digital gold. I think that you know Bitcoin has properties, the fact that it's highly divisible or that you know it's impossible to confiscate. I think that those are some of the properties that made gold so popular over the last you know few thousand years. But I still think that a technological investment today will not necessarily so easily replace a long standing three three thousand year old tradition of having gold as a last resort. And while it's all, you know, it's all intersubjective, it's all in the way that society grasps it. And, and society still sees gold as that, you know, safe haven kind of asset. And I think that it will take some time for Bitcoin to become that. It's just 10 years old. And I think that by trying to make an asset that is 10 years old, good as it may be, replace a long-standing tradition of 3000 years and we're not talking just first world here. We're talking about countries where you know people are still storing gold and are still really using gold as a way to hide their assets or as a way to protect their value. So I don't, I really don't see it replacing gold that easily, just for the fact that one is three thousand years old and one is ten years old, even though the technology is is obviously superior uh, with Bitcoin. So okay, so we have addressed that. I think it was. It's always a good, you know, ideological debate on Bitcoin and what we want Bitcoin to be and what it represents for each and every one of us. So I think that even though many didn't like the campaign, I think it brought us to talk about what we expect from crypto, what we expect from Bitcoin. And I think that those are healthy decisions that are going to guide the path that Bitcoin takes in the future. All right, so that's uh, that's up for our first topic. And uh, let's move on to Ethereum development. So earlier this week, uh, the Ethereum core devs were supposed to release uh, a new network upgrade that was actually five different network upgrades, but that ended up not happening. So first, I want to talk about the upgrades themselves. Now, I don't want to get too technical because I don't think this is the platforms to do it. So I'll just you know, quickly gloss over the, the technological aspect of it. So there's been four uh, different upgrades to the code that allow you know, developers to do different things that enable new tools. So I really don't want to get into those because I feel like it's going to be messy to explain. And, you know, this is just not the point. Uh, one of the big changes that were supposed to happen that I do want to talk about is the difficulty adjustment. So basically what Ethereum is trying to do is that it's trying to move to a proof of stakes uh, system instead of a proof of work system. So what they decided to do was basically make... Uh, the finding of blocks through hashing and the rewards a lot smaller than they are today. And so this will deter people from getting into the proof of work and move people to proof of stake. Now, one of the problems, obviously, is that if you've been following Ethereum development, uh, the proof of stake uh, is, not, is not even close to being ready. And proof of stake is not, being even, is not even close to being ready and developed and, and deployed on the Ethereum blockchain. So that's that's an interesting thing, but uh, at the end of the day, what happened? So it was supposed this upgrade was supposed to roll out on Wednesday. Uh, Come Tuesday, uh, one chain analysis, which is a research firm, actually discover a vulnerability in one of the proposals. Now this vulnerability was you know unlikely to be exploited, but still this is not something that you know you want when you release new software. You don't want your backward software, so smart contracts that were already written on the Ethereum platform to be vulnerable now because of something that you've changed. So what happens that uh, the core Ethereum devs, they met on Friday and they decided you know, to postpone it. Now, they decided to postpone it six weeks. And in this case, we we're expected to see this upgrade uh, hit the network on February 27. Now, uh, you know, th- this process tells us a lot about you know, the technology and the environment that we're working on. And I've been saying for a while that Ethereum is still a big experimental project. And today it's still worth $13 billion. So this is still a lot of money for something that we honestly don't know if it's going to work, where it's going to work. It's never been applied in real life before. And the thing is that usually when when we're talking early development of technology, it's done, you know, under wraps. So, for example, Google is developing something. Apple is developing something. And they can develop it in the privacy of their own companies, right? So you never know what works and what fails. And, and the valuations are not crazy. So, you know, Google is willing to invest a certain amount of money into a project and see if it succeeds or not. And that's what they're risking. But they would never risk $13 billion, you know, to see if an, an experiment works, which is what we're seeing with Ethereum today. Now, if that wasn't enough, everything Ethereum core every Ethereum developers do is completely public. So anything they do affects the public and affects the public holding and the public blockchain. So it's not like they can just sweep, you know, failures under the rug. So their stakes are much much higher both in the fact that it's everything is public and in the fact that the chain itself is still worth 13 billion. Uh, So I've said in my crypto outlook uh, last week, I've had the honor to to go and talk to the British Society of Technical Analysts, and I told them that I see 2019 as really a limbo year for Ethereum, where it's stuck between what it was and what it wants to be, and it's working to get there, but it's not really there, and it won't get there in 2019. So it's really stuck in no man's land, and and this is worrisome for, for any investors and everyone who's slightly interested in the fundamentals and the underlying development of what's going on. You know, it's it's worrisome that you see Ethereum, a 13 billion dollar project, really stuck in no man's land and and struggling to advance. And even even if they have a roadmap, you can see that you know the slightest hiccup can push things back a month and a half. So this is this is basically a warning uh, for Ethereum holders to follow the development process and and see that everything is happening as you would want it to happen. Because at the end of the day, you might get. Something that is entirely not what you expected and entirely not what you wanted. So, you know, I I see the potential of Ethereum, but there's so many things that could go wrong, you know, while we're getting there. And it'll take at least another year to get somewhere close to where they start to want to be. We're talking, you know, multi-year projects here. So if you want to be involved in that, that's great. But you should know that this is what you're getting involved in. All right. From Ethereum to our third topic of the day, uh, the Cryptopia hack. So an exchange has been hacked in New Zealand, and we're going to check out the facts and uh, and see what really happened there. So our third topic of the day is uh, Cryptopia, a New Zealand-based exchange getting hacked. So first, the facts of the matter. So the police were called uh, late on Monday night uh, to investigate the theft of $7 million worth of cryptocurrency. And they're doing what they can, but... Uh, at this moment, and it's almost almost a week after, we don't really know uh, what happened with the funds. We don't really know if this was indeed a hack or an inside job, some kind of exit scam like we've seen plenty of in 2017, 2018. And since the police won't say uh, what happened or they can't say what happened, uh, Reddit and Twitter and a lot of good people on the internet have been tracking addresses of uh, transfer of Ethereum and tokens. And so right now it's estimated that between 3 and 13 million of New Zealand dollars have been stolen. So we're talking uh, a major hack here. One of the interesting parts of this story is that you can actually trace coins from Cryptopia to Binance, which is, I believe, the number one exchange today. And what happened is that once Twitter and social media actually got you know, the proof that coins were transferred to Binance, then Binance CEO intervened and said that they had frozen some funds that they could see originated from Cryptopia. And this is a very, you know, exciting example of how things develop and how things develop organically. And who would have thought that the exchange, you know, would be the one to make the law and the exchange would have the ability to freeze funds and to not transfer out coins that originated from a certain, you know, source. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to see how those things just continue to develop, and and how and what place will you know exchanges have, and users have, and even the regulator have in the ecosystem. So, so that's between three and thirteen million uh, New Zealand dollars that just went away at some point. And I've heard some skeptical voices, you know, in the community saying that as exchanges uh, lose a lot of volume they lose a lot of the business that they've had and they lose their ability to make profit because an exchange's way to make profit is to take a commission on every trade. Now, if people aren't trading anymore, then it's very hard to pay you know, your employees and to pay yourself. I believe right now Cryptopia is about 90 employees. So we're talking a lot of money in payroll and it's it's entirely possible that this operation was on its way to being non profitable anymore and that this is just a way to close up shop to save face not saying we failed in any way and to keep you know 3 between 3 and 13 million dollars now i don't know if that's what happened and obviously you know i'll let the police do its work and interrogate who knew you know whoever needs to be interrogated but it's it's very interesting how crypto makes you think of all the adversarial possibilities and you never really know what happened and you always have to assume that, you know, everyone's a potential scammer and everyone is in it to take your money. And I think that this is a very, you know, it's a, it's a lesson for life in a way. And, and crypto in many ways is kind of a dystopian version of the future when you can trust no one and you have to rely only on yourself. And in a way, that's its advantage and its disadvantage, the way it kind of opened up your minds to thinking about, you know, possibilities that you didn't think were possible, that you didn't believe, you know, people would do. Now, funnily enough, the CEO of Binance uh, used this opportunity uh, to say that you should only, you know, leave your coins on exchanges and even went as far as to say that exchanges can protect your coins better than you can if if you have your own private keys, which sounds kind of ridiculous. And I think that a lot of the community caught on to that, you know, and and were like, no, no way, you know, the, the standard advice is really have your own coins. Never put on the exchange more than you want to trade with because you know you'd rather to have your security put in your hands than having your security put in people's hand that you don't know that you're not sure you can trust and I think that cryptopia is is a great exchange is a great example of that and as time goes on and as the crypto markets continues to weaken, uh, we'll see more and more you know exchanges hacked and I think that, It was one of my 10 crypto predictions for 2019, major crypto hacks. So here, it's not even two weeks since I published that and we already have a a hack. And I think that we're going to see a few more uh, until the end of the year. So be safe out there. Keep your coins. And that's the news for this week. Let's move to the outro. Okay, so that's it for this week. Thanks for being with us here on Cryptalk by Investing.com, our weekly crypto podcast. Uh, I'm Clement Thibault. You can find me on Twitter at Clem Thibault, that's clemthibault. That's C L E M T H uh, I B A U L T. You can drop a comment if you're seeing it on investing.com. You can drop a comment on the analysis article itself, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing from you guys to hear what you want to, you know, what you want us to talk about. If there's things you want us to cover or topics you want to know more on, uh, we, we're really looking forward to your criticism and your thoughts. So again, thanks for being here. Uh, we'll be back. Next Sunday with another episode of Cryptalk by Investing.com. Have a great week, everyone.